everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Slumber Party Podcast. I am your host, Amanda Jusen. My lovely partner in crime, uh, Lisa Ramrein, is stuck at home with three sick children. And we all, we send our love and we send our support and we send our healthy vibes to you, Lisa. Um, don't go crazy. But if you do go crazy, it's perfectly understandable and it's okay. <laughs> Today, I am. This is a culmination. I manifested this. I have been looking for three years to speak with a doctor about my experience personally with sleep apnea. And I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Anya McLaren to the podcast. And I say I manifested it because Anya, you came to me. You (laughs) found me. I was literally doing, I'll never forget it. I get a text on my WhatsApp. I'm making lunches, the bane of my existence. And you're like, hey, I'm a pediatric sleep respirologist. Do you want to talk about things sleep? I was like, yes, yes, I do. And then we had like an amazing conversation that we had to shut down because we both have lives. Um, (laughs) So thank you so much for coming. Oh my gosh, I'm so like really excited and it's such an honor um to chat with you. We, we did connect um when I when I randomly I Googled, <laughs> I actually Googled you came up and I um you know we had a, a wonderful conversation which was so so exciting. Um but yeah, no, I um I'm glad that we were able to connect and I'm glad we we're able to to share this space to have a, a conversation about sleep apnea and children. Totally. Well, tell us a little bit about what you do. So I kind of want to give a context to the folks at home. Um, You know, you know, where do you come into? What do you see? um, What's the sort of practice that you you do with with kiddos? Sure. So, so um, as you introduced me, I'm a a respirologist and sleep medicine physician. So um, I. You know, in terms of my background, I went to medical school, I trained in pediatric uh, medicine and then subspecialized in pediatric respirology, which is basically everything related to the lungs and breathing, um, and then did an additional um, year long training in uh, sleep disorder breathing or actually in 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 pediatric sleep medicine. So that encompasses sleep disorders related to breathing issues, but but everything else. And so. Currently, my practice is a mix of any child who has breathing related issues when they're awake. Um, so asthma, um, any chronic lung disease, but but of course, when they're asleep as well. So sleep apnea um, and et- any spectrum of disordered breathing that occurs during sleep. Um, and so the kids that I see are uh, kids that are otherwise healthy who have um, sleep-related issues and sleep apnea can actually present in a number of different ways, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, and so uh, I see kids ranging from newborns all the way through to 18 oh. years of age. Interesting. Uh, yeah, um, with with um, any any sleep-related issue and any lung-related issue. Okay, so while you were saying that, I was I was wondering. So if would you would a patient be referred to you? If there were sleep issues and the parent actually had no idea what was going on. Yeah, like I mean, I see I see any and everything. So I mean we get referrals from um, 
primarily primary care providers, so pediatricians, family doctors, nurse practitioners, um, who have patients that have sleep complaints. So that has ranged from, you know, kids not being able to fall asleep at night to kids waking up frequently at night to kids having, um, you know, behavioral issues in the daytime and yep. kids snoring. Yeah. So it's okay. a very broad spectrum. Okay. Oh my gosh. So excited to talk to you. Honestly, I'm so excited to talk to you. This is like such honest and and genuine enthusiasm. Like I'm I'm actually getting emotional because this is like a full circle moment for me. Because you know when and everyone on this podcast listening, when when we are working with clients, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of our clients were dealing with a behavioral issue that a child requires to sleep, and we remove the behavioral issue you know, with lots of love and care, and then they sleep well. But there are that 0.1% where we get to the end of the road and we say, you know what, I, I don't know why, because this works for so many folks in so many ways It for, for babies, for kids, this is a thing that's working. And often what happens is we say that to the parent and we say, look, this is the end of our expertise and we are not doctors. We're not going to pretend to be one and we don't play them on TV even. So I can't even use good words to pretend that I'm a doctor. (laughs) Um, And then the um, client of ours will go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, babies just don't sleep. Kids don't sleep. That's a thing. They just don't sleep. Yeah. And yeah. then it there's nothing for the parent. And in my experience, I'm sorry, all our clients do sleep. So I just right. don't buy it when you've right. done so much. And and uh, when when you've looked at all the behavior and overall the child, to your point, otherwise healthy, that's such a key word. Yes. There's nothing they're not screaming anything. And I know this from personal experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like on the, on the surface or on the outside, it, it, it like looks a certain way. So I, I am dying to know a two-part question. What are some of the things that could be impacting a, a, the child's sleep or a baby's sleep that may not be obvious to an otherwise healthy child? That's question number one. To how the hell do we see you? <laughs> Can you come? Do you do yeah. clinics? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I I I guess in terms of the first point, so um, sleep apnea, for example, which which you know is a condition where there is um, impairment or or uh, an, you know where babies or children, and it can actually happen in babies, um, have limitations in their breathing such that they're not able to um, get the air in and the air out uh, when they're asleep. And the reason that we we see sleep apnea happen, you know, at night compared to during the daytime is that when kids go to sleep, you know, they they rely completely on their their built-in, you know, sleep regulation by the brain. Um, when we're awake, we have lots of conscious and, and wakeful drive to breathe that can, you know, supersede um, any limitations that mm. could potentially be be there. So in terms of sleep apnea, for example, it can present with kids who snore. Um, that's typically sort of the, a big red flag. So, you know, snoring in a child um, is just not normal. And so, you um, 
apart from snoring, because what, what I've noticed is that the, the older the child get, gets at once they're in their own room, if parents not, are not checking in on them overnight or don't have monitors in the room, they may not, they may not clue into some of the signs or symptoms of, of sleep apnea. So, yeah. you know, sometimes it can be a light snore even. It doesn't have to be a really loud snore, but kids who are restless in their sleep, kids who sweat in their sleep, um, I know that, um, you know, you probably see a lot of the younger kids, but older kids, who, for example, stop wetting the bed and then start wetting the bed again. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I told myself I would shut up and wait my turn. So go ahead. Yeah. So um, uh, kids who grind their teeth, for example, that can also be um, a sign that they're having breathing limitation during sleep. Um, you know, kids who wake up from sleep tired and not sort of they don't seem refreshed like if a child is asleep for 10 to 12 hours in the morning that child should look refreshed energized ready to face the day so kids who are grumpy or irritable um and just don't look like they've actually slept really well um and then of course there are daytime behavioral issues of you know mood mood um you know uh lability or irritability um you know issues with attention and focus um issues with being impulsive and aggressive um that that can be a way that not only sleep apnea but any poor quality sleep that a child gets overnight that can be a way that it would manifest in the daytime um kids who have issues with um you know, actual pauses in their breathing. So sometimes what that might look like is a child who snores, 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 stops breathing, big gas, breathes normally for a bit, then snores, 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 and continues to do that throughout the night. And would you, so that's, that's, I mean, I really want to talk about sleep apnea, but are there any other health conditions that might come up that so aren't many. sleep apnea? Yeah. yeah. So, so we know, so, I mean, I was, um, and I'm, I can talk about this a little bit later, but I'm in the process of creating a course that I hope will help sleep consultants in particular to um, have an idea about what different types of sleep issues could be that you know, might might present like behavioral type issues because that, yeah. that oftentimes can be the case. But, um, you know, children who um, have asthma, um, for example, so, you know, asthma is when there's inflammation of the lower airways that typically presents with wheezing and coughing. It tends to actually be worse overnight. So a child who's coughing overnight, that could be related to asthma. It could also be related to sleep apnea because you can get mm-hmm. coughing, gagging, choking related to breathing limitation but you know asthma is one big one kids with with allergic what we call allergic rhinitis or allergies so mm. you know seasonal type allergies um or allergies related to dust for example with sneezing mm-hmm. itchy eyes um and itchy nose can disrupt sleep there's also eczema as well so kids who itch significantly during sleep um reflux is also a big one um that Ooh, can be yeah. quite disruptive to to sleep as well and so yeah. you know of course, any child with any chronic disease, so kids with cystic fibrosis or sickle cell disease um, can have sleep disruptions. But for otherwise normal, healthy kids who don't have like a chronic condition, you know, I would say reflux, um, you know, uh, eczema, asthma, and um, uh, yeah, I think eczema, asthma, those would be some of the conditions to think of. And then outside of that, yeah. there are actual sleep disorders. So, you know, um, restless leg syndrome, for example, which is basically when, 
kids have this internal sense of discomfort in their legs. And those kids might actually look like kids who are resisting bedtime because they're very hyper at, at night because of that internal. But in kids with restless leg syndrome, they're, they're wanting to move is more pronounced when they're, they're required to be still. So yeah. at night when they're lying still in bed, um, you know, it is this discomfort and that only improves when they move their legs. Um, right. So the way that I sometimes will ask patients about it who are old enough, I'll ask them, you know, imagine that you were able to lie still in the bed. Do you think that's something you could do? Oftentimes, I actually had a patient with this yesterday. Um, some Oftentimes they'll respond, no, I just feel like I always have to move. And then I'll ask specifically, is there a certain part of your body that feels especially uncomfortable and then I'll throw out you know is it your head your arms you you know your 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 legs and they'll say it's my legs for sure so um restless leg syndrome and then when you're actually asleep at night periodic limb movements so those are basically very small movements of the legs that um occur periodically throughout the night and disrupt sleep quality Mm -hmm. um there are also movement related sleep issues as well there's teeth grinding um, so, so there are quite a few, um, yeah. sort of sleep disorders. Yeah, for sure. Outside of like sleep apnea, for sure. The, the top ones that I've seen as well in my practice, when I, I always kind of follow through with the client, if we haven't reached our goals for whatever reason. So like I said, we stay until you're sleeping either with us or someone else. Um, it, there are quite a few, especially in babies, gastrointestinal issues or food allergies, reflux. Those seem to be the big ones that come out. Mm -hmm. Um, Reflux, especially like babies that just can't settle when the food is there and the behavior is there and they just can't settle. We might, we have to consider that they might be uncomfortable for some reason. And that always requires investigation. The other thing that I've seen um, lately with older children as well as low iron impacting the quality of sleep for like my preschoolers mostly. And we see this, I think once we move off from formula and into, or like breast milk or any sort of, we, we forget to fortify, right? You give babies the iron drops or the, you know, the, whatever they are, I'm thinking vitamin D, but anyway, we're supposed to supplement with iron and, um, as kids get older and pickier, they eat less variety of foods and we see iron drop. And that has actually been quite revealing. And that's been something that I've seen over the last two years, especially because I think doctors are kind of getting wiser to that. And that is something that you can do with your family doctors, like a quick blood test and have that evaluated without having to see you. The interesting thing about low iron, so low iron is um, one of the causes of restless body movements during sleep, restless leg syndrome, and periodically movement disorder. Um, The interesting thing, though, is that the iron level that has been associated with that restless movement is actually, can actually be within the normal range. So, um, so, you know, sometimes if kids are having, you know, or fit the criteria for a restless leg syndrome, um, condition, for example, they would have to, I mean, you check the iron level, but you want to get them a bit higher um, mm-hmm. than, than what the, the, the normal range is. Um, and the periodically movement uh, disorder, however, you'd have to get a sleep study in order to diagnose that one. Right. So, yeah. yeah, but but for sure, I mean, just recently, there has been a new condition um, termed restless body movement during sleep. Um, which is something again that you pick up on a sleep study. Um, it's similar. It's it sort of is in the spectrum of restless leg syndrome and periodic leg movement uh, disorder as well. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, the, the iron is definitely something um, I agree in the, in the preschoolers and, and sort of that age where they, you know, the, the picky eaters who come yeah. off of the formula, which has iron in it um, and are not great meat or green leafy vegetable type um, kids. You know, it, it is something that we see for sure. Yeah. And I mean, so I just want to, I mean, I, I, anytime it's part of our intake analysis when we're working with our clients, especially our toddlers, yeah. we always ask, is there snoring? Is there any sort mm-hmm. of breathing issue? Mm-hmm. Um, do you, does your child sleep with their mouth open? Mm-hmm. And generally, I mean, we can, we always say we can help with the behavior part, but right. if there is anything that's impacting your child's breathing, they're going to wake. And mm-hmm. this was something that I, I mean, I had a journey with my daughter's sleep apnea and I'm just so blessed and thankful that I had this sleep education behind behind me. Mm-hmm. And, and even just this, um, this kind of heads up, you know, like, Hey, uh, kids are having apnea and this is what it looks like. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm glad to know that. And then my daughter, my first daughter was just such an amazing, miraculous sleeper as a baby, just slept like a champ. And as we got into the three, four, five zone, I just felt like, number one, if she had a cold or any sort of respiratory illness, she really got it. She always had ear infections. Uh, This was me as a child as well. I had my tonsils and adenoids removed. I had tubes put in my ears. I had ear infections for literally years of my whole life before the surgery. And I sort of, so that put me on guard already. And then um, we noticed, especially when she was sick, she would snore like, uh, 87 year old smoking man. Like my husband would send me, it was like kind of funny. Like she would be upright in the car seat sleeping. And so we thought maybe it was a sleep position, but then it started to become something we could hear in the hallway at night. Mm-hmm. And then, then she was, I mean, this is still who she is, but she was a chronic early riser. So mm-hmm. she would be up and I understand why now. So in the second half of your sleep, you're in a totally, you're in mostly REM for the second half of the night. You are in lighter stages of sleep. If there's anything waking you, you're going to be more conscious than, than at any point. But we're talking about wakings into the like fours and not being able to go back to sleep, like constantly yeah. waking herself up. Um, so When she was about four years old, I took her to, I requested an ENT and the person that saw me told me that snoring is normal in children and that I, when I, and I am not exaggerating, I do exaggerate, shocking, but I'm not exaggerating when I say he took the tongue depressor and went, yeah, she's fine. Like that was the level of analysis. I was so mad for many reasons, but I left the clinic and I called my doctor and I was just like, I, I'm not saying that he's not wrong, but I just want a second person to actually look in her mouth because right. I don't feel like he did. So we moved to a different uh, ENT and that ENT was wonderful. And they really took the time to listen to us. The ENT actually uh, the first one was a pediatric ENT. The second was an adult, but he mm. took all the time and care with me, which I loved. So he said, look, you know what? We see a lot of fluid on the ears. We can try these 
um, no spray for a little while to see if that helps and we can maybe avoid surgery. So we tried that, no real help, nothing moved the needle. Um, so we finally, we were referred for a sleep study. And by the way, this is like pre COVID. I don't know what the wait times, this is all within now a year. So we've waited a year. So now, you know, when he is five and now we have to wait for a sleep study, which is another, like, I think six months we waited for the sleep study. Um, and I, I'm happy like, yay public health care. But anyway, we waited a long time. We finally got the sleep study. I I mean, I do believe in public health care. I'm, I'm a big advocate, but um, I don't want it to come off like I'm complaining. That's just what happens sometimes. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. my husband had done a sleep study previously. I knew that it was going to be pretty invasive. And I was like, I don't think I can go. So you go, he goes. He She was up like every hour mm-hmm, on the hour. And I mean, mm-hmm. yes, you're in a new space, which probably didn't help. Um, long story short, um, she was diagnosed with mild to moderate apnea. Mm -hmm. She stopped breathing for, I think, and by the way, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, the diagnosis for even mild apnea is that you stop breathing for 10 seconds at a time. Is that right? Or is that different? So it depends. Um, yeah, so mild obstructive sleep apnea, basically the criteria that we use is having two to five respiratory events per hour. So that can include actual pauses in breathing or shallow breathing that leads to drops in oxygen saturation or to a mini awakening or arousal. So, Got it. you know, the number of events per hour is a combination of actual pauses as well as shallow breathing. Got it. Okay. So, I mean, even that for me, like even just hearing that two to five per hour is wild. So anyway, she was diagnosed, thank goodness. And then it was like, well, what do you want to do about it? The the situation was put on us. So we spoke with our doctor. Um, we were referred to a surgeon. And by the time that, like when we got to the surgeon, the surgeon was very dismissive before he looked at her and he was like, you know, like, not everyone needs their tonsils out and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't want this surgery. So like, if you're going to tell me that this is something that we don't have to do, I'm going to be thrilled. He took one look in her ears and then said, what took you so long to get here? And I was Mm -hmm. like, I have been pushing and pushing and every single doctor along the way has essentially told me that I'm hysterical. Mm -hmm. They moved up her surgery. So we thought her surgery was going to be in the new year. Thank God, by the way, because the pandemic happened right after. Right, right. But they moved it from like January, February, right up to like November. Like, yeah. So they moved her up really quickly. The doctor came out, they removed her tonsils, adenoids, they drained her ears. He said he had never seen ears like that at all. Like she was at a point where her, the volume on the television needed to be so loud. Wow, I remember you telling me, yeah. It was so crazy. And I Mm -hmm. feel like I trust medical professionals. I'm very Mm -hmm. medical friendly. I believe in science and I don't like, I don't know how... uh, I'm glad that I persisted, but there mm-hmm. were several pieces of advice along the way that told me not to. I yeah. can tell you the day after her surgery, this is the the night of, we co-slept because there's a complication with the surgery that yes. you want to be, compl- I don't want to scare anyone, but there's a very rare but serious complication that I just wanted to monitor. So we co-slept. 
she didn't snore. This is like day of surgery. Yes. Yes. She was breathing beautifully. I, it changed her entire disposition. Yeah. Her, her behavior in school changed. We had friends comment, be like, she's just a different girl. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I know because Mm -hmm. she's rested. And I, I just like, so I'm very conscious of like the clients that I can't help. You go to the doctor and the doctor is telling you it's fine. Like what yeah. do you do? How do you, how do you persist? I know. I mean, I think there are, so, you know, I actually, um, you know, have actually, so in, in the, in the, in the process of creating this course that I had mentioned earlier for sleep consultants, I, you know, of course have done background, um, you know, research looking into, you know, just sleep education mm-hmm. <laughs> in mm-hmm. general, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, and actually like every residence, I also, I work at a tertiary care center. So I teach the future doctors mm-hmm. um, and, and every doctor that comes on our rotation to learn, you know, these include adult doctors um, and, you know, medical students going into adult specialties. You know, I actually, I ask all of them, <laughs> so do you have a sleep curriculum in medicals? I mean, so going through medical school, so I'm, I'm Canadian trained. Um, and in my medical school teaching, we did not have, you know, mm-hmm. sleep, sleep, any any course on sleep, really, unless it was mentioned in, in the context or in relation to something else. Which you is know, crazy. Which this is, is crazy. Which is, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You know, and um. And, and in, in studies that have been done in the States, there is, you know, they have looked at sleep education in medical schools and they estimate, I think what I found is that, and, and I'm not quoting this correctly, but in the range of about two hours over the entire four years <laughs> of, of a medical trainees, um, <laughs> medical training is devoted to sleep. And guess what? The majority of that time is sleep in adults. Yeah. Okay. So, yep. so it is, um, so it is definitely a problem, um, you know, that stems from, you know, medical school all the way through residency. So in, in pediatric residency training, cause I also, you know, I'm involved in teaching pediatric trainees. Um, there is not a sort of, you know, curriculum or module on sleep in yeah. children. I was in clinic yesterday with a nurse practitioner student who is a pediatric nurse practitioner. There is no sleep training in their cur- curriculum. And so it's a multi-level issue and um, not very surprising, um, you know, unfortunately that your story um, is a story that I hear all too mm-hmm. often with, you know, from friends, from um, you know, patients that walk through the door. And so, you know, I think that um, it, it, it's an issue, but I think it's it's not an issue that cannot be corrected and cannot be addressed and cannot be remedied. And so, you know, how do we actually go about do that? I think doing that, I think it's a two-part process. I think we have to educate families so that mm-hmm. they can advocate for their children, yeah. because I think advocacy is one of the like most powerful, um, you know, things that we can do for our kids. And so um, I think education at the level of the parent and education of, of, our, of our doctors, really. And so, yeah. um, you know, in this course that I'm doing, I actually plan to um, provide like, you know, educational handouts that, you know, um, 
consultants can provide to families to basically, you know, a sort of highlight to them and teach them, you know, what to actually say when they go to their family doctor um, and what to ask directly for. um, Because I think that for most primary care providers, if you go into their office and you say, here is what is happening, this is what my child needs, can you please refer me? I would say that most, if not all, would would go ahead and do what needs to be done, I think. Yeah. Um, so- my doctor is great. My, my family doctor, listen to me. The yeah. big thing, you said this, um, my daughter had taken off her own pull-up at three, like on her third birthday. I was like, I'm never wearing this again. I was like, great. And then all of a sudden at five, she's wetting the bed four out of seven days. Yeah. And which That's a big red yes, flag. Yeah. can be normal. But I also know my kid and that was not normal for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what we defined as secondary bed, like nighttime bedwetting or secondary nocturnal enuresis is when a child goes for a total of six months without wetting the bed and then starts to wet it again. So, you know, as a child starts to toilet train during the day and overnight, it's it's normal for them to have accidents here and there. Mm-hmm. But if they go six months of dry nights every night and then all of a sudden start to wet again, then it definitely is something that, you know, sleep apnea can be one of the causes. There are other causes, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you combine snoring with that if, with that type of, um, you know, observation, then for sure sleep apnea should be high on the list of, of possibilities and, and conditions that you look into. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, you've mentioned your course a few times and we right. have a lot of, well, I have my own certification program. Yes. So I imagine they're all listening. Um, you're actually coming to do a session right. with so the excited. entire team. Me too. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, you also have your own course for sleep consultants. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. So it's still in the making. So it's actually, so it's a course that I'm hoping will um, equip a sleep consultant with knowledge about, I mean, I think you guys are really well versed and do an excellent job on sort of behavioral sleep issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the I hope that this course will actually, well, the purpose of it is really to educate sleep consultants about all the non-behavioral slash medical yep. conditions and, and not, not with the intent of a sleep consultant diagnosing a child or, you know, trying to treat a medical condition, but more about equipping sleep consultants with the knowledge to know when when and what could potentially yeah. be going on in the yep. in the context or in the course of their work with a family. Because yep. um, I think what, what I love about sleep consultants is that, first of all, families trust you guys up like so much. Um, mm-hmm. But also that you guys have you guys have this opportunity to to intimately interact with a family and yeah. to really ha- spend that time and you know get to know that child. And so yep. Um, the hope is that, you know, issues that do come up that may be outside of what, what the, the training that you guys have experienced, you'd be able to identify really quickly yeah. and be able to say to the parent, um, here's what I think is going on, provide a handout potentially to say, this is, yep. this is some more information about it. And these are some resources that you, um, you know, that you should look into in order to yeah. deal with this issue. Um, yeah. and so it's a course that I'm actually, um, I've, I've actually in the process of creating with about five sleep consultants to get, um, because I want to personalize it so that it yeah. actually is a, it is tailored to your needs. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so I'm working with, with five sleep consultants to create it. Um, it will have about six modules. Um, the first three will set sort of a background for what sleep and non-behavioral sleep issues look like. And then the next three modules will actually review cases to sort of walk through an algorithm. Yeah, yeah, of how to how to get to um uh you know a, a condition that could be going on and, and how to proceed, navigate, I guess, yeah. through that. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that especially an experienced sleep consultant, I mean, I, yes, we get to know the family, but we also know what success looks like. And we know like a lot of the factors that are involved in sleep, especially with babies. Like a lot of it has to do with food and wake windows. Like the, un, unlike a lot of doctors, like this is all we do. This is all we do. And exactly. so we see we have a good range of what's normal and what's not. And when a child isn't responding, I, I think the most frustrating part is we really want to help. and. Yes. Sometimes it's that, you know, maybe sleep training isn't right for that child. Yes, that is 100% a uh, possibility. But when there are other factors going on, like you said, like, it, you know, uh, digestive issues, possible allergies, they just need to be ruled out and investigated. Right. And I I really, you know, when you came along, I, I'm so excited for you. I feel like there's so much opportunity um, for you in this because and I mean, I'm, I could talk about this for days, but I think it's so, you know, I'm, I'm currently doing my degree right now for social work and we're learning all of these therapeutic modalities on how to help folks and how to help yeah. people. And in every single start of every single session, it's like, well, um, before you start any cognitive behavioral therapy, assess sleep. Do da, da 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 assess sleep, and it is the basic. And if you yes. went to a doctor and said, "Well, you know what, um, my child doesn't drink water," well, we would all be like up in arms. And how do we like how do we hydrate the child? Hydrate. It's like the, the sleep has been an option in in many brains, like optional or a nice to have for really, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, everyone. Yeah. And we really like even if I'm not involved in this movement, we have to make like, this is, it's food, water, sleep. Yeah. 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 No, it's a foundation. It's like a, yes. the foundation. The foundation. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, yeah, for sure. I mean, my vision is that, you know, I mean, there, there will be an education curriculum for pediatric nurse care, like nurse practitioners for pediatric nurses, for yeah. family doctors, for pediatricians, mm -hmm. and for pediatric subspecialties where they're going to see kids that are going to have disrupted sleep, you know, yeah. kids with type 1 diabetes, kids with, again, cystic fibrosis, yeah. you know, sickle cell disease, and any chronic, like, health condition. I mean, there have actually been a few studies in kids with cancer and their sleep. And so mm. my, my hope is that the, the sleep education curriculum will be broadcasted to, to, to the medical arena um, yeah. and that it will be viewed as something that's so key and integral and something yeah. that needs to be assessed and addressed because asking about sleep is one thing but if you don't know and you don't have the tools <laughs> yes. right yeah. to address that then yeah. then what's the point <laughs> yeah right a hundred percent at every wellness check they ask about sleep and like okay so if I said it's bad what's your answer is well, it yeah well that's normal <laughs> yeah well yeah. it is normal yeah. but also yeah. if it's not now what right. right you know there's a lot of emerging evidence as well that says kids who like have sleep issues, the 
when they are corrected early, it prevents the development of chronic sleep health issues and the outcomes of that. You know, studies are looking now at sleep health issues in toddlers and how that correlates to mental health um, conditions in adolescents. And so, I mean, you know, it's there are just so many reasons why the focus needs to be on sleep. You know, um, so, so yeah. Well, I, uh, this is, uh, I always joke that this podcast is the length of a crap nap and I think that we're way over that. Um, so my apologies. Um, but uh, where can folks find you? Where can we find more information? So I, so I have an Instagram page called the sleep gap. So it's at the sleep gap on Instagram. And I hope that in the next, so I'm, I mean, my course, I'm hoping to sort of have out um, with a web, like a, an actual formal website in the next couple awesome. of months. So um, I can pass that information along to you when, when it does become available. But for awesome. now, if you follow me at the sleep gap, you know, you'll be in tune and sort of aware of, of where, where that will end up going. And we can look at your adorable boys that oh, yes. are just so cute <laughs> every day. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. Um, I, I mean, I am out of words, uh, but if, as always, you are struggling with the behavior of your sleep, you can find us at babiesbestsleep.com or on Instagram at babiesbestsleep. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review, especially if you like this episode. I mean, this was, this is free advice, folks. So go ahead and say <laughs> thank you through that review and a rating. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.